0: Hello, my name is Ashhul Ussal Calveli. I'm the co-founder of BCoach Academy. In BCoach Academy, we believe that coaching is a great leadership style. But what is leadership? That's the question we have been looking for an answer. And to get an answer, we are talking with leaders from different industries having different experiences. Today, my guest is Sushmita Mishra Sahu. Sushmita is an experienced HR practitioner leading passionate people practice for more than 17 years in global diverse multinationals and local metrics organizations such as Siemens, Healthineers, Siemens Energy, Sumtel Engineering Services, Larsen and Tobro. In our conversation, Sushmita gave us wonderful explanations to what leadership is and what it's not and shared with us her experiences when she took the leadership position. I hope you enjoy this conversation. I'm curious about your definition of leadership. First, let me tell you what I think it's not
1: it's not about controlling others it's not about influencing the outcomes that you do not have control over yourself it's not about yourself in some way it is in some way about yourself as well now coming to what it is for me leadership is more about understanding others and differentiating between um, these two spheres of influence. How much can you influence yourself and how much the other party in this game is capable of influencing? So for me, leadership is this understanding of game of influence and secondly, it is also about understanding the, the roots and where from the, uh, the people around you are coming from. Hmm. So from a context of understanding people, behavior, their mindset and everything beneath behavior, their thoughts, beneath thoughts, their beliefs, then their perceptions. So understanding this entire tree with its roots and the visible part of branches and leaves, which we call as behavior, performance, talent, everything. And also about how much you can influence that. A simple example would be like that of a gardener. Um, I would see a leader as a gardener who knows very well Which kind of plant would survive or thrive better in which kind of soil? Hmm. Who understands which plant needs how much of sunlight? How much of, and I'll, I'll give you when I say these things, these things mean different things. The sunlight, for example, may mean visibility, exposure, pressure, and water may mean how much of Uh, nurturing you can give, how much of support you give from bottom up, how much you are backing up that plant, how much you are willing to hold that. Similarly, a gardener, a leader should also understand what are the limitations of a certain plant. Mm -hmm. You can't expect a creeper to stand tall like a big tree. So you have to acknowledge that difference and acknowledge the diversity in each of your plants in your garden. Mm -hmm. And then like a gardener, you should also know when to do the intervention. For example, every plant grows on its own way in a natural format, but then for it to shape in a certain form, to look beautiful, you have to prune it. You have to cut out the rough edges. And most often, leaders feel very uncomfortable doing this. So we'll talk about that later. But yes, a gardener or a leader should know where to prune, when to prune, is it the right season and time to do the pruning? And then a gardener or a leader should also know what to expect out of a plant. For example, you can't expect a flowering plants like rose or a lily to give you a mango or a coconut. Of course, no gardener will expect that. But then when you have expectations, you have also to be ready with the patience for the plant to take its own time to grow and give you the output.
0: Hmm. <laughs> Wonderful metaphor that feels there's a lot of knowledge should be in the side of the gardener. (laughs) Also lots of character traits, which one of you mentioned as patience and knowing exactly what plans that the gardener is working with and knowing what they are growing into, their potential. It feels it's a difficult job to do. (laughs) It is. It is.
1: One of my previous managers, he used to, every time I, I tell him, how do you do this? Like when, every time I get amazed at what he was doing, he would say, it's not easy. The most difficult thing to do or to be on this earth after being a mother is to be a manager.
0: You are both, right? <laughs>
1: <laughs> so um, it's not easy to be a leader in true sense. In true sense, not just be a manager, not just be a hybrid between a manager and a leader. To be a true leader, it's not easy at all.
0: If that's so difficult, why does anyone have this position or want to put themselves into that? You can look at it from two perspectives. First is, of course, the visible
1: benefit. Okay. A lot of people are seasoned right from the childhood. You should always run. You should always try to be on the top. And you should be always on the top of the ladder because that's where the money is. That's where the career is. All the fancy things are. For most of the people, it is these things, these perks of having power, having position, having money, and also having a bigger say in things that happen in the environment is an attraction to be a leader, okay? These are the visible things. However, there are certain invisible things that often also make people choose to be a leader. For example, invisible things like when you go to bed at night, do you feel happy about the day that you lived? Do you have that sense of achievement that you didn't work not only for your own bread and butter, but you also contributed in someone's growth, in someone's better life, or in someone's potential generation or realization? So, in short, this sense of self-actualization which is at the very highest level of Maslow's theory of (laughs) needs, for a lot of people, it's also there that they choose to become leaders. rest, everything is on the way, security and psychology, societal needs, esteem needs, ego needs, they get fulfilled in the other category. And I think it is this gift which is very um, intoxicating it's addictive. Um, good things are addictive, but extremely good things are extremely addictive. <laughs> so when you get used to extremely good things, you get really addicted to them. And for a leader, once you see that you're able to groom someone to become a leader, you are able to make a difference in the lives of people, in the lives of managers, in the life of an organization. That's very addictive.
0: When you talked about this addiction, first of all, it's a good addiction, and thank God for these addictions. It felt like you, of course, if you are talking from experience. And I was very curious about this. Maybe one story from your experience of where you felt, yeah, oh yeah, that was that was a great gift from my leadership.
1: I'm sure you will hear a lot of corporate business cases related to strategy and, and um, team development and motivation and collaboration. You'll hear all of that, okay? I'm not gonna give you that. I'll give you an example of completely different kind, okay? Just to tell you that the influence of a leader could also be in a completely different paradigm. And this example is about my interaction with one of my CEOs okay, in my one of my previous organizations. We were part of a very dynamic team where we had seen complete business carve out and carve in. We were in thick and thin of heavy restructuring and change management, organizational change. Um, from Talking from an HR perspective, I know there was huge turmoil from processes side, people management side, organizational structure, restructuring side, and in the middle of that, All of that was centered around one leader who was the CEO, whose every action had the impact on everybody else in that system. Not because this leader was so dynamic, but because this leader was seen as a role model. And my example is about this leader, smoking. He was a chain smoker. Now you would think, okay, CEO being a chain smoker, why would it bother the hr business partner why should it it's his personal life but if you look at it closely and when i looked at it closely i saw that for people to have more time with this leader they started accompanying him every time he went out of, of the office building to pick up a cigarette first it was his cfo then it became the cfo's team members then added the uh, regional sales heads then the market leaders. So within a period of six, eight months, I saw this group of smokers, of my top leaders, engaging in this kind of collaborating over smoke breaks. Now, is it a concern for me? What they do in their personal breaks might not be, but is it a concern of how the leader is aware of his influence? Is the leader aware of his influence? And I got concerned because people who were not smokers, who were not smoking earlier, they started doing it just because they wanted this undivided attention of their head. So for me then, as a person who had to lead my managers and my business heads, I had to initiate an open discussion with my CEO. It wasn't easy definitely it wasn't easy because that was his personal life. That was his personal break and he had all the choice to do whatever he wants. Nonetheless, I initiated this discussion through two points. Number one, of how he is setting up a culture in the organization, a culture which is really conscious of their health or not. And secondly, a culture where the modes of collaboration, how an employee chooses a mode of collaboration, is is being influenced. So technically I had to confront him. I had to share my views, my observations of last six months. And then then it turned out he was not aware of that himself. He didn't see the number of people increasing in, in this smoke break groups. And then when he realized then he said, yeah, that's true. So, and then I had to get his commitment Of course, not to stop smoking, but at least to ensure that there are other ways and platforms for people to have his undivided time. So, So long story short, we ensure that he is going alone. Nobody goes out on law breaks. Number two, we ensure that he has specific time, uninterrupted, informal time assigned to each group. Which was welcomed so beautifully in the organization. So every group, every region had a, an un, one hour slot where they can talk to him like a friend, like a philosopher, like a guide, without any hesitation, without any baggage of their own roles. And the third thing that we did was that we incorporated serious employee well-being and health uh, initiatives in the company. So these were the three things that we did to answer your question. How, as a leader. It could bring change. So this is a very unconventional example.
0: First of all, I noticed that you are making an effort when you speak to not go the direct classical way, but show the edges. And also, this is how you started defining leadership. You started by what it's not. And then gave what it is, and here also you told that you picked an example that would be different, showing different size of leadership. That that's very beneficial. Thank you for bringing that. And I noticed for what you did was kind of leading your leader, so that it feels leadership is not from top to bottom, but it's also bottom to top or same level. Same level. Yes. That's one message that I get from your story. The other message I get is this connection back to your gardener, which is observing and then pruning, which you also did. So you observed, but you were caring about the well-being of your community, of your people, and that required for you to share the observation and confront. It feels risky. It is risky. It is. It requires courage. Yes. That's what you have done. You have taken this risk and the benefit has been the changes that you have made. I'm sure resulted in the way that more health and um, more engagement and self-awareness of your leader as well, which is probably priceless. (laughs) Do
1: you want to know what happened to that leader now? Please. That leader... He is half marathon runner and he started running half marathons at least twice or thrice in a year. So he has stopped smoking completely now and uh, he now encourages his team members to start running marathon. Oh
0: He still uses his influence, but right now he has so a like completely it. different influence. Yes yes. what an amazing story. Yes. We are already sensing your... I'm alone here, but the people who are listening would probably sense also your experience in leadership because you are talking about it in non-directive way, in a non-leading way, very smoothly. And I would like to hear about the steps that first of all, brought you to the topic of leadership, to the position of leadership, and your experiences. Which stages have you uh, gone through in this leadership positions or journey? Because it doesn't have to be just a position, as you mentioned. Leadership is not
1: a position. Leadership is not a role or a designation. Leadership is not a role, um, vice president, resident, senior manager, chief manager. And at the same time, leadership is also not a role, so called HR business partner or HR or um, governance or legal. And my very first examples of uh, or story of me remembering me being in a leadership position was a very personal one. For the benefit of our listeners, uh, maybe I can give a more relatable and easy to digest example maybe from the corporate setting this example was of a situation again because i would again refer back saying that that leadership is more situational and the situation was when i was expected to set up uh, an entire team where um, it was a project in that project only very few people had joined Let me share why I look at this as a leadership situation. First, that situation was very vague without any clear-cut guidelines about, okay, in this project, we just knew what would be the expected outcome of this project. And for example, it was that in a certain number of schools in India, in government schools, we had to incorporate computer-aided education. So typically in Indian schools, people sit in table chairs and students, they have got these blackboards and we wanted to change that. So The outcome of that project was to ensure that a certain number of schools had at least one computer, had at least one trained staff from the teachers who could run that computer and could help students consume content on that computer. For example, basic subjects like maths, science, and uh, we in India we call it social sciences. Apart from that, nothing else was clear. How we would do that? How many people we would know, need? For example, to train these school staff, teaching staff. We just knew that we had the time frame and we just knew the budget. In this situation, my first task, challenge as a leader was to find out what would be the path? What would be the path for for me and my two other colleagues who were the first hires of that project to ensure that this outcome is achieved? Then we had to think about for us to, to travel in this path, what would be the things that we would need? How many people? What kind of people? What should be the conditions of employment for them? to operate, what kind of a working environment we have to create, even to the extent of what is allowed, not allowed in this project setup. There were many other challenges, of course, when you are working with a government organization and then you have too many stakeholders to work with. You have too many processes to work around, official, unofficial, (laughs) bureaucratic then you have to think of how to manage these stakeholders. It was the second challenge, do a proper stakeholder mapping and uh, find out different tools and techniques to manage and handle these um, stakeholders. The third challenge that I had was to, of course, find out the right kind of people who could do that. My designated role in that project was project support executive for HR. But I can tell you, (laughs) I did a lot of other things than HR. (laughs) So, but then nonetheless, you need the right kind of people to do these things. So that was a very tough thing to do. And then the uh, next thing was to provide the right kind of working environment. Because it was not an office with a building, with tables and chairs and workspaces to work with. But it was more of an open field. It was completely field-based work. So how do we ensure that uh, whoever uh, people are part of this project, they have the right set of um, working conditions? These were the four challenges that I had as a leader. At that stage, I had the choice of saying, okay, I've got this employment letter, offer letter, which says I'm just project support executive for HR. So I will only work on HR related topics. Recruiting, yes. Compensation, yes. I had the choice to say that. And yet I also had the choice to take a complete entrepreneurial stand and say that, okay, do I concern myself only with the HR topics or do I concern myself with the overall outcome of this project? can i extend myself expand my horizons and responsibilities and see what more can i do and i because this project had to do with education and with children and it was such a, a noble idea at that time i'm talking about in 2003 to imagine students using computer to learn it was a fascinating idea for me, for me and that bought me and that um, made me decide that yes I would choose to be a leader here and not just a project support executive in HR. So it was the ultimate purpose of my self-actualization goal that made me decide to take this leadership role.
0: You are telling when you started taking a leadership role. And I think you can also tell the other story.
1: I can because I understand the true test of a leader is um, the level of vulnerability that they can expose. Yeah, Uh, Authentic leader is based on the trust that a leader has on people who are with him. And trust is not possible without vulnerability. So uh, let me share the story then, even if it is very personal and even it is very uh, emotional, uh, might be... Um, difficult for a lot of people to even understand, oh, does this even make sense? Or <laughs> people might need a punch of pinch of salt to digest it. So this is a way back when I probably didn't even understand what leadership is. A 15-year-old girl with uh, two younger siblings in a very modest family in a very small city in India who loses her mother all of a sudden. And the situation uh, becomes such that the father is pretty young and probably would need uh, another life companion to raise three children quite young and to lead a complete life, full life. In this situation, probably uh, the girl did not have to choose to take a leadership position. Yeah, Normal girl would have that. Uh, something sad has happened in her life, a time Life would go on, we would get used to it. A loss is a loss. Loss of a mother is a heavy, irreparable loss. Nonetheless, the girl can also choose to think and think of times ahead, what might happen? If we have a new member in our family, if a new member is really nice, kind, and and affectionate, things might go really well. But if it's not that way, what's going to happen? And this girl had the fear. Okay, what if we don't have the right kind of a person as a part of our family? And having known her own temperament, having known the temperament of her younger brothers, this girl chooses to become the leader of this family. She chooses to have that courage in herself and say, Yes, I will be able to take care of this four-member family with two young children, with one teenager herself, and a father who was working in a banking organization where he had to travel. He, He was not there at home all the time. I say this is a leadership position because you take full accountability of that family. You take full ownership of the outcome of this decision. If you decide that, no, I will take care of this family and I don't need anyone else, that's taking full responsibility, responsibility of the present time and the future. For example, if I would have failed today, my brothers and my father would have blamed me. It's because of you that we don't have a good life. That could have happened as well. That's why I say it was a leadership position which required courage, which required ownership, which required full accountability, which required good stakeholder management as well, because there were very heavy and powerful stakeholders in that situation. My grandmother, my grandfather, my aunt, my uncles, who were all concerned about their son, brother, because they see that it's just a 39-year-old man. And how would he manage on his own? He has the right to have a life companion. So I had even heavyweight uh, stakeholders to yeah, manage. And then also manage the other kind of stakeholders who were those uh, ones that they don't have the voice. They don't even understand what's happening on. My youngest brother, he was at that age, nine years, a little kid he wouldn't even understand what's happening and he wouldn't even understand all of a sudden why my elder sister is acting like my mom. (laughs) Kids don't even accept their moms in a powerful situation nowadays. Even those kind of uh, stakeholders and for a leader, it's very important to understand, okay, to to distinguish between these uh, powerful stakeholders and these not so powerful stakeholders, but yet um, uh, people who are equally and probably more worse affected by your decisions. I'm writing an article on this um, about the visibility of stakeholders. Most often we look at stakeholders as only the powerful ones who have a bigger say, but we forget about the smaller stakeholders who might not have the power, but who are getting affected badly or better. These were the key things or the, the key elements that made me choose to take this um, leadership position, made me take on tasks, which probably couldn't be imagined by a 15-year-old girl in a normal situation, and which made me stay focused on the ultimate goal that I had, which was to ensure a life Not for the present, not a comfortable life for my family for the present, but in future. Ensure that my brothers have a good education. They have a good life. They turn out to be good professionals, good careers, and my father having a good health at the end.
0: That's very beautiful. Thank you for sharing this. It was also a lesson by demonstration that you said in the beginning that's very emotional and that's very personal, but trust comes with showing vulnerability and that's what you did thank you for demonstrating um, also a leadership right now by influencing through you showing vulnerability and sharing your stories i noticed multiple times you talked about the choice so it's it's what you choose leadership feels like the moment you step into or you take this decision that you are now taking full ownership. Would that be correct? Yes. Leadership mm-hmm. is choice. Yeah, that's beautiful. And that feels like it's open to everyone when yes. it's a choice. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful that anyone can choose to be a leader in any kind of a situation?
1: It's just a matter of we having that confidence in ourselves. We having that faith on the environment that we operate in and take this it's out there it's not clenched by people like leadership is not clenched by a certain role or a designation it's out there it's just that you have to embrace it
0: (laughs) I think because the way that you also told there are lots of things to manage when you take leadership or stakeholders, foreseeing the future, possible obstacles, knowing people you are working with, your environment. Probably that stops people. <laughs> <laughs> but remember the gifts then. Remember the gifts. Exactly. Exactly. The gifts. And talking about your journey so that was when you were 15 you came across leadership by doing you took this decision to lead your family and also lots of stakeholders in that having gone through this and having I think discovered your own strengths I believe so that should be quite difficult but at the same time it should be like like a gym that trains you for various things how did you take it into your work life? What did you do with the strengths that you have developed? What other leadership positions have you chosen to take?
1: Multiple times, for example, not as a HR business partner, but as an employee in an organization which is going through a severe change management process. I've taken this choice, I've made this choice to be a leader at least In a standard modern acquisition scenario twice, once during a carve-in, once during carve-out. And again, my profession gave me these lovely opportunities where I had more of such situations where, where I could, for example, acting as a change agent. How could I be a change leader? Multiple times. For example, Uh, Leading a change in culture of a certain environment, not through yourself in your role. No, not through the role, but through your being, through the person that you are. There was a time in 2008 where in India we were hit badly by recession. The organization that I was working in had two choices. Because of reduced volume, reduced projects, reduced um, revenue, they had two two choices. One, to let go of employees completely, lay off. Second, put them on the bench for a certain period of time with much reduced salary and wait and see. Of course, being HR partner at that time, it was I had a very um, meaningful or uh, influential um, view at that time. Um, but again, I would share my view as a person at that situation as a leader. Not as an HR business partner, because an HR business partner would have said, okay, late off, probably it would be easier. And then we don't have to be worried about this recession, how long it runs, whether it runs for three months or six months or one year, we are not worried about it. That's what an HR business partner might have said. But the person in me kind of question myself for things that are more longer term. For example, what would be the image of my company if we do such a drastic layoff? For example, how would the market react to it? For example, if the market revives, all of a sudden, would we be ready for matching the demand that comes then? So the person in me said that, okay, let me take this risk of putting these certain number of people on bench and see what we can do. The choice again, (laughs) and and the gardener. Uh, things okay. This is winter. Shun not much of sunshine, but how can we create a greenhouse, a temporary greenhouse, where still nurturing could happen, where still we could provide in small doses, this sunlight or water, whatever, to these uh, resources which who could grow and be ready when summer comes, when there is summer again. So what we did was we created two campaigns for these on-bench employees to make them future ready working on their communication skills, working on their intercultural skills, because these were engineers who usually were going offshore to Germany and to France to work on offshore projects, design engineering projects. So they needed a lot of support in communication, intercultural sensitivity in English as a language, also in their software design engineering skills. So in short, uh, a greenhouse Was created. That was a choice. And I'm happy that we did that because uh, when the recession was over, in comparison to other companies that were in that um, industry or in that domain, we could recover much faster. That was a very uh, close to my heart example. Second, in a corporate environment, when it comes to culture and change, these are non tangible things. You can't catch them, you can't measure them is an engagement survey a good enough tool to measure the culture of a company? Some may say yes. If the tool is really strong, very well correlated, some may say no. But then at human behavioral level, there could be many indicators which could tell you about the culture of an organization. And I give example of a certain situation where My business was integrated. So it was about 250 employees getting integrated into a bigger system of about 800 odd employees. And this bigger system, if I personify uh, uh, an organization, it was a very um, staunch and very orthodox and very... A person who is very comfortable in a nice sofa and knows that, uh, yeah, lunch, dinner and breakfast would be served on time. It will be good quality. Who thinks that, yeah, I, I'm happy if I take a glass of wine in, in the evening every day. That was the person, okay? And that was the other family. And then all of a sudden, these 250 people who come in, who represent a different kind of a culture. Hmm? And if I personified this culture in this organization this would be a person who is um, not happy with himself or herself who is always looking for things to do in a better way if this person uh, makes a, a cake today he would want to do the cake better in the next day or maybe try a completely new recipe that kind of a person so when you try to merge these two different kind of cultures together by default, there will be clashes. <laughs> Can you imagine that? Yeah so let me check with you. What kind of clash comes into your mind when you have these two different kind of people?
0: I assume lots of arguments Mm -hmm. um, blaming each other labeling each other that you are lazy you are old school the other one what are you doing here that you came to our (laughs) place and changing everything that we keep as tradition
1: all of this happened I can tell you all of this and much more and the bigger challenge was this didn't happen in a obvious, visible way. Two people blaming each other. I blame you. You are lazy. I speak it out. At least you have the option to defend yourself or share, okay, I'm lazy. You see me sitting on a sofa because I have a backache. Could be. But when that happens in a covert way, that conflict, that blaming, that misunderstanding, that argument, not in direct communication, that's even more a dangerous situation. At that point, again, I had the choice to act as a HR business partner and roll out normal, usual collaboration workshops and things that are very obvious to do. Okay, You have two conflicting parties, bring them together, do a workshop, let them understand each other. Things get sorted out. Or at the process level, you have two different processes of doing things, uh, of looking at people practices or even sales functions or whatever. You try to merge them together. That's a very natural way of bringing together. I, as the HR uh, person, I, I chose to take this leadership situation where I challenged, do we really have to merge? Merging means you add two things. You have salt and pepper, you, you add them. But then do we also have a third option, another option of not adding salt and pepper, but making something else together, completely different. So you don't have to have a lazy and dissatisfied person Together, but you have the option of having a completely different person who is experimentative, who is comfortable with taking risks, who is yet cognizant of the well-being of its employees. That leadership position I triggered my leaders, the top players, and also some of the players not so in leadership position, but people who were intelligent and smart enough to see the benefit of having this idea and who had their arms and their ears and eyes in influential places. So this idea of creating together something new meant that this comfortable lazy person had the option of losing weight, a little bit of weight and become more active. And this not so happy person always trying to push harder and do better and always pressurizing himself or herself can take a little bit of slack and say, okay, I also have the right to enjoy myself and have a little bit of spare time. Having that opportunity to create something completely new together, not merging, new together brought a very beautiful change in that organization's culture and dynamics. So that's the second close to my heart example I can give.
0: Mm, Those are great examples. It is also showing, I think as a leader, you have a vision. So you create an alternative reality then to the current one or the obvious one. Most obvious ones. Most obvious ones. And then manage stakeholders cooperate. And it feels again, it's influence. You influence others who are influential and then they influence so that it can grow into the whole population of the ecosystem that you are in. Yeah. i have wonderful examples. Thank you.
1: Yeah. I like the fact that easily you're summarizing what I say. Thank you for doing that because I do not do that intentionally. Hmm. I do not say these words intentionally because that's everyone else already doing
0: well you sharing real life examples is the treasure and i'm saying it for my own understanding and also maybe supporting people listening and the other
1: reason why um, i thank you for summarizing and giving these key learnings is because it may act as a trigger for people to further build on it i leave it loose for people to to comprehend it, comprehend these stories in whatever way they want, is because stories can be comprehended in different ways by different people. And how you comprehend a story depends on what context you are in at a certain moment. If I read a story now, I would take out a certain lesson from it today. But if I read the same story again next year or after some time, I might see a different learning coming out of it. That's why I leave my stories loose for people to pick
0: up what they want to pick. That's also very generous (laughs) because you can lead us, right? With no direction you want us to think of you and your stories.
1: And probably leadership is also this, not telling the path, not giving directions, but, but giving the freedom to lead themselves, to lead others themselves. And yet a comfort and yet an assurance that, okay, if we need support, someone is there. Like in coaching, we, we don't give answers as a coach, but we help finding answers. Because the answers are always within ourselves.
0: Yeah, that also requires lots of confidence, I believe, to put yourself back and let them decide. That is a good leadership when you define it that way. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, a difficult kind of leadership, definitely. (laughs) I was also wondering about the part of gender in leadership. How shall we tackle this? Because there is a phenomenon of women in leadership and you are a woman and you have worked with women and men. So what are your observations or what are the key points for women to be aware of and also for men about women in leadership? I have a lot of views on this. Probably if we start talking,
1: it will be tomorrow morning. (laughs) (laughs) But then let me, in brief points, share what I think. Leadership is gender neutral. Leadership is more situational. It doesn't depend on the gender or the preference. Let me also go to that field. Because even now, we are talking about only women leadership. What about leadership by the LGBTQ community? My second point uh, would be, why do we even have to look at leadership through this lens of gender comparatively? Most of our ancient cultures have always thrived and believed in duality of life, right? Whether we call it yin and yang, whether we call it shiv and shiva in in my culture, it's not, question of or, or question of this or that. It's question of and. Based on this presumption of mine that it has to be and. It has to be leadership of a different kind. Based on that presumption, I believe we are in a point of time where we should not ask questions like, why don't we have too many women leaders? we should ask questions, why don't we see leaders as gender neutral? Most of the companies that measure their diversity through the numbers of female leaders in their boardrooms, do the companies measure diversity through the number of people policies That could lead to these increased numbers? Do we have organizations that measure diversity and inclusion and belongingness through the feeling of belongingness that these diverse groups of people have in these organizations? Are we measuring that? And when we talk about leadership by a woman, it becomes a question because in our mind we have always looked at the life of a man and a woman differently. God has created man and woman differently. This human race has looked at man and woman differently, and that's how it has evolved. For example, coming from a country like India, women have a certain role in society, conventional, traditionally, and men have a certain role. Bread owner, responsible for the family, women a carer of the family, home, children. And towards these goals that the entire system was created. So the role of a woman was pictured in that manner. And hence the entire society, education, corporate industry was designed for keeping that goal in mind. For example, in India, The decreased number of women in workforce, forget about leaders, women workforce, decreased number of that is because of many reasons. Lack of education, lack of equal opportunity to education, lack of equal opportunity to a career. Again, then expectations after marriage, expectations after being a mother. All of these influence the question how long Will a girl be a working resource or a working part of the economy and industry? And I believe so long as we do not question this path that we have created in our minds, in the mind of a society, we cannot look at only measuring the numbers in the boardroom. We cannot look at only sporadic interventions here and there to enhance or to improve women leadership. So that's about the how bit of it. Now, talking about the why bit of women leadership, I might sound like a feminist here, (laughs) but at the risk of sounding so, I think personally, the female mind is wired better for handling couple of leadership elements I won't say everything, but a couple of leadership elements better than a male brain. For example, when it comes to multitasking, for example, empathy, for example, vulnerability, for example, EQ. These are some of the hardwired elements of a female brain that give them advantage over a male brain. Okay. Okay. Again, there might be disadvantages as well. (laughs) Male brains are wired better for uh, staying focused for um, many other things. And hence, I think every leader, irrespective of the gender, needs to have this masculine trait as well as this feminine trait to be equally balanced to be a successful leader. A leader who is very focused only impacting the results and the outcomes and not being empathetic to the needs of the team probably has a lesser chance of succeeding, for example.
0: So you're looking more into the leadership traits that are sometimes considered as feminine qualities. Some of them are male qualities. All the range should be developed in every leader. Now, based on all your experience in leadership, what are your key learnings regarding how one can be a good leader, a great leader?
1: I guess this is kind of a now a summary question to our discussion. Yeah
0: <laughs> coming to yeah the
1: end. and probably here I I would rather give some direct answers direct answers about myself and I think over this conversation, you have already articulated them a couple of times and maybe I articulate it in my own words. My learnings as a leader, first, it's always a matter of choice. Second, it's a matter of the gift that you want to pick up. What gifts you want to pick up. Do you want to pick up a, a big car, shiny car? Or do you want to pick up a good night's sleep? Third, leadership is, not about myself, it's about everything else apart from myself. The people, processes, organization, context, it's about everything else, three. And number four, in spite of leadership being everything else, I have to do it through me, through my vulnerability, through my courage and my self-conviction.
0: Wonderful. Thank you so much for summarizing and sharing your stories, your experiences, your knowledge, showing vulnerability. It was a pleasure talking with you and I learned a lot from you. And I want to ask you to close our conversation. How would you like us to end? If you remember this conversation,
1: after 10 years and if this conversation still sounds relevant to you
0: that would be a fair happy outcome for me thank you so much it is again like thinking everyone else except you but doing it through you was demonstrated (laughs) once more (laughs) (laughs) oh thank you so much Sushmita I hope you enjoyed this conversation. If you would like to know more about BeCoach Academy and if you would like to be trained as a coach or a leadership coach, visit our website www.becoach-academy.com. If you have any questions, any feedback, feel free to send us an email at contact at Bcoach academycom My name is Ashil Uysal Kalvelli and it was my pleasure to be with you today on this podcast and I'm looking forward to hearing from you. Take care.